The 2022 Winter Olympics started on February 4th and are taking place in Beijing, China. In honor of the event, let's learn about the music of Chinese culture. Hi there, and welcome to episode 38 of 8 Minutes of Music History. I'm Arna Gogi, and today we'll be learning about Chinese music. China has one of the longest histories in the world, having one of the first civilizations in human history. First, there were the Sumers, then the Egyptians, then the Minoans, then the Indus Valley Civilization, and finally the Shang Dynasty, one of the first Chinese civilizations and the fifth civilization in all of history. China's history is rife with political changes. There have been 83 dynasties and 559 emperors in all of China's history, with borders changing through every change in power. A dynasty, by definition, is a line of hereditary rulers of a country. This hereditary system of power formed the basis of how Chinese rulers worked for centuries until the creation of the Republic of China in 1912. Now, not all the dynasties in Chinese history came one after the other. Many of them existed at the same time as others, fighting each other for complete rule. It's also worth noting that China has not always had the borders it has now. It started out very small, and as the dynasties changed, the conquered area grew and shrunk. This episode is much more focused on how the culture of China was changed and influenced as time went on. I'll mention the dynasties during the time we're discussing, but border and political discussion will be kept to a minimum. The first civilization of China is very hard to pinpoint exactly. The Shang Dynasty is the dynasty that came after the Xia Dynasty, starting in 1600 BC. And we know for a fact that the Shang Dynasty existed because of numerous archaeological sites. Many texts, such as the Book of Documents and the Bamboo Annals, have accounted the emperors of the Shang Dynasty, and thousands of artifacts have been uncovered and time-stamped by carbon dating. The Xia Dynasty, which was the predecessor to the Shang Dynasty, is hard to prove. There are no texts from before the Shang Dynasty, and the earliest mentions in archaeological documents only feature a handful of very cryptic information. The Bamboo Annals and the Book of Documents briefly feature times around that of the Xia Dynasty, but historians today still debate whether it actually existed. Now, of course, there were most definitely rulers of China before the Shang Dynasty. Chinese mythology confirms this. But the thing is that there were no records in this time. People simply didn't write things down, and so we know little to nothing about these pre-Shang Dynasty civilizations. The history of Chinese music begins in Chinese mythology. In 2697 BC, the emperor and now Chinese deity Hong Di sent the scholar Ling Lung to the mountains to cut holes in bamboo pipes and finally tune each sound that was emitted when the tube was blown into. This is a flute. When you cover certain holes and uncover others, a tuned sound is produced, and it can be changed by covering and uncovering different holes on the tube. According to Hong Di, the purpose of creating this flute was to imitate the calls of the Fang Huang, an immortal bird whose rare appearance signaled harmony in the reign of a new emperor. By creating this new instrument, it allowed for the invention of music, as well as harmonizing Hong Di's rulership with the universe. 
This story was found in a collection of five ancient texts called the Wu Ching, which translates into five classics. The texts are somehow associated with a famous ancient sage named Confucius, who was associated with many very famous ancient Chinese texts. An extensive discussion of music is found in the Wuxing, but there is no direct notation of music in this text. However, one of the books in the collection, the Xiqing, contains the lyrics of 305 songs that are dated from the 10th to 7th century BC. The topics in these songs, such as love, ritual, and political humor, are very similar to contemporary topics. Another Confucius text talks about the use of music at court activities, as well as the singing of peasant groups, which is rare across the entire world at this time period, even for Europe. Now, while the Shang dynasty is documented for, the following dynasty, the Xiao dynasty, is where music starts to appear in documents, disregarding Chinese mythology. The Wu Qing was written during the reign of the Xiao dynasty, as Confucius lived during the middle of the dynasty's ruling. All these documents I've talked about have mentioned lyrics to music, and where music was performed, as well as some of the instruments used, though we'll get to that later. But throughout all these texts, there hasn't been a single piece of musical notation. Musical notation is how music is written down, to be read and performed by another musician later. What's very odd is that, despite this lack of notation, there is heavy discussion of music theory. Music theory is extremely complicated, but the simplest definition is the study of concepts and methodology with which you compose music. Now, this is where we'd start talking about music theory, but first we have to understand how China measured music. Music has different pitches. Modern Western music uses a 12-tone system. C, D-flat, D, E-flat, E, F, G-flat, G, A-flat, A, B-flat, B, and back to C an octave up. To non-musical people, that means nothing, but don't worry, as you won't need to memorize that going forward. The flute that was supposedly created by Linglung was named the Hongjiang, a flute made for the sheer purpose of tuning notes. Today, we refer to these types of pipes as bamboo lu pipes, as many of these have been found across different archaeological sites. To play the flute, you would blow into a hole at the top, and the bottom would be closed by a node. A pitch would be produced from the flute, and this pitch could be changed by altering the length of the flute itself. The longer the flute, the deeper the pitch. You could also produce higher pitches by blowing air faster into the flute. The concept was that you would have 12 different pipes, all tuned to 12 different pitches. This shows that ancient China also used a 12-tone system, very similar to the one that would be used centuries later in Middle Ages Europe. This was the basis of Chinese music theory. Of course, it continued to become much more complicated with the invention of bells, chimes, and stringed instruments. But these innovations may have taken place even before the Shang Dynasty. Archaeological digs from the late 20th century found stone chimes that date back to the 2nd millennium BC, implying that these music theory systems could actually be as old as Chinese mythology states. Now, let's start talking about the instruments of this time. I already talked about the bamboo lu pipe, which was used to tune pitches and the basic wind instrument of this time. So now, let's talk about bells and chimes. The common bell at this time was a bronze bell called a zhang. A zhang is about big enough to hold the handle in your hand, and is hit with a mallet like a percussion instrument. The zhang was created during the reign of the Shang dynasty. 
The concept was that you would have numerous bells, all tuned to different pitches. The bigger the bell, the deeper the pitch. Usually, the bells were suspended on a wooden frame in order of size and pitch, and the musician would hit the bells with mallets. When referring to these frames with bells, the instrument was called a being zhong, which translates to set of bells. Around this time, there were also stringed instruments. Unlike other civilizations, the Chinese made their strings with twisted silk. A very famous Chinese string instrument is the gu cheng, dated around the Zhao dynasty. The original gu chengs had around 13 strings, each tuned by the length and thickness of the string. The gu cheng is playing laid flat, with the body being laid flat and the strings stretching lengthwise across. Here's a piece played on the gu cheng, Spring, River, Flower, Moon, Night. Another common instrument around this time was the Shi Pa, created about 500 years later during the reign of the Wei Dynasty. The Shi Pa has four strings, and it's comparable to the guitars of today. The strings stretch across a neck and a body, and the notes are tuned by pressing down on the strings against the neck and plucking onto the strings around the area of the body. Here's a piece played on the Shi Pa, White Snow in Early Spring. Until the Tang Dynasty in the 7th century AD, China continued to shift rulership and cultural influences throughout the centuries, but there were no major shifts in music. Notable changes include the culture's exposure to other wind instruments from other nations, like the trumpet and double reeds. There were also more types of flutes, drums, and bells developed, expanding the range of pitches and variation in size. Around the 7th century AD, the rulership of the Tang Dynasty brought heavy trade and cultural influences from surrounding nations. Persians, Indians, Arabs, and Malaysians were the most populous groups of foreigners in China, commonly found in port cities. It was around this time that Western influences began to affect Chinese culture. Dancers and singers from the West came to major Chinese cities, bringing Western tunes and styles with them. The hub of all this Western influence was actually the capital of the Tang Dynasty, Chang'ang, now known as Xi'ang in the Shaanxi province. This was mainly because of Emperor Xuanzang, the emperor of the Tang Dynasty from 713 to 756 AD. Musical tributes were sent to the emperor from other Asian nations, and the emperor was very pleased with them. In fact, an area in Chang'ang was named the Pear Garden, and it was a training ground for hundreds of musicians and dancers. The emperor himself often trained in this area. This immense diversity was a lot for the government's musical bureaucracy. There was already a distinction between court music and common music, but a third category was added by the Tang nomenclature, foreign music. Officials sorted imperial music into ten different divisions, organized by both style and geographic origin. To sum them up in short, using modern-day locations, two from Uzbekistan, one from right along the west border of China, two from Kazakhstan, one from India, one from Korea, and the three groups for different parts of Chinese music, 
court folk in foreign mixes. Around the early 10th century AD, the conflict of the Five Kingdoms caused the Tang Dynasty to fall, and ended this international era. There was much conflict, causing cultural progression to be put on pause as the politics shifted. But this gave the people a chance to solidify their traditions in music. Since there were no external cultures feeding in, the people of China took what they had at the end of the Tang Dynasty and redefined it, making it distinct and unique. When the Song Dynasty came around in 960 AD and conquered most of the divided land, most people had gotten used to appearing authentically Chinese, rather than importing foreign styles. In fact, a document called The Song Shi, translated as History of Song, is a book that accounts the entire history of the Song Dynasty, and 17 of the 496 chapters focus entirely on music. The chapters talk about the continuing use of the bamboo lu pipe for tuning, as well as numerous musical events and traditions. There's even a guide on how to play some of the instruments of the time, such as the Qing zither. Tons of documents also contain poems and songs performed for all sorts of different occasions. Now, let's take a pause on moving forward in time for a second and talk about musical theater. The Chinese had been involved in musical theater since the Zhao Dynasty, but it wasn't very prominent until the Tang Dynasty, when the aforementioned Pear Garden Arts School was established. The Pear Garden harnessed and popularized musical theater in China, most notably opera. Later, during the Song Dynasty, there were many regional styles of Chinese opera, but two styles dominated the regions, Nansi, mostly found in the south, and Sachu, mostly found in the north. Sachu was unique because the singing was often done by one main character, and the musicality and poetic lyrics were more valued than the plot itself, lessening the importance of the actual storyline. On the other hand, Nansi contained a large number of scenes, and the music in Nansi were often local folk songs, as opposed to songs being composed specifically for the opera. Both these genres used similar poetic structures, but the musical influences and styles are what set them apart. When the Mongols invaded China under the rule of Genghis Khan, the Song Dynasty fell, and the Yan Dynasty was established. The two opera styles continued to flourish, even taking some influence from typical Yan operatic styles. The invasion of the Mongols also caused more of an emphasis on the emotions conveyed. Since populations of Mongol people came into Chinese areas, the emotions were dramatized so that they could understand even by those who didn't speak the language that the opera was written in. In 1368, numerous factors caused Mongolian rule of China to fall, giving way for the Ming Dynasty to take over. 300 years later, when the Manchus invaded and the new Qing Dynasty was formed. The Qing Dynasty lasted until 1911, when the Republic of China took over, making the Qing Dynasty the last Chinese monarchy. This 443-year time frame of the Ming and Qing Dynasties contained many musical innovations and changes. We'll start with opera. Yan styles continued to live across China, but with the new title of Quanchu. Quanchu can still be found across Chinese drama today, among other styles. Quanchu commonly uses two major instruments in performances, the horizontal D flute and the vertical Xiao flute. Of course, there are other instruments used, but the D and Xiao are seen in almost all Quanchu. The vocal style of Quanchu is usually a male singing falsetto, also typically seen in Western opera. The accompaniment to the vocals would be soft and gentle, as to give the performer the spotlight. 
Another popular style of opera during the Ming Qing era was Yiyang Qiong, which was more popular with the general public. Yiyang is a city in modern-day northern China, and Yiyang Qiong is a blend of Nansi and the regional styles of Yiyang. The style is unique for a number of reasons. The use of chorus, in addition to the soloists, differentiates from Nancy, as well as the use of explanatory passages within casual speech, spoken or sung in the form of classical poetry. Here's a good example of this style, Just Like You, by Li Yu Chuang. <laughs> These different types of opera gave Chinese drama distinct vocal and instrumentation styles. Outside of musical theater, there were other forms of popular music. One of these forms was storytelling, as old as humankind and very different across regions. Narrators would recount traditional folk tales to audiences, often sung but sometimes spoken. Instruments to accompany the rhythm of the song were also common, from just simple mallet instruments to a band of strings and winds. Stories were typically performed in the streets or on street stages, and closer to the 20th century were sometimes accompanied by film or recordings of music. The Ming Qing era was great for theater and other instrumental performances. In 1911, the Xinhai Revolution caused the monarchy to be overthrown and the Republic of China to be established. In 1949, the Chinese Civil War caused the Republic of China to move to modern-day Taiwan, and for the Chinese Communist Party to take over the mainland and create the People's Republic of China. The PRC continues to govern China today. Now, let's look at Chinese music from 1912 to modern day. During the reign of the Republic of China, tons of new songs mixing traditional and modern Chinese styles were created. One of the most famous songs in this style was March of the Volunteers, written in 1934 by Ni Er, to the lyrics of playwright Tiang Han as a patriotic march. Take a listen. This piece, in fact, has been the national anthem of the People's Republic of China since 1978, and is still today. A grand trumpet fanfare opens, with the chorus then joining in to sing the main melody. During this modern era, Chinese culture's exposure to radio, television, and other media forms allowed the integration of Chinese and Western styles more. Some concertos were written for mixes of Chinese and Western instruments, and some Chinese artists have become famous for their music played with Western instruments. Now, the upbringing of the Chinese Communist Party in 1949 did affect music. Operas and other performances started having Marxist and Communist themes. While original folk tales were not suppressed, there was a new emphasis on performances that promoted workers, peasants, soldiers, Marxism, and socialism. This affected not only the people, but also the culture itself. Because of the media, people could now view the musical styles of different regions across the country of China. 
On top of this, composers and artists began incorporating the promotion of Marxism into their pieces and songs. Some orchestral and band pieces were composed, but many of these Marxism promoting songs included vocals. This is due to the fact that conveying a message or idea is much easier done through vocals than it is through instrumental music. Now we've arrived at the point where we talk about today. There are numerous genres that China has made distinct subgenres of their own, but the two most prominent are pop and rock. Let's start with C-pop. C-pop is an abbreviation for Chinese pop. There are three main subgenres of C-pop, Mando pop, which originated in Shanghai, Hokkien pop from Taiwan, and Canto pop from Hong Kong. One of the first C-pop songs was Li Jinhui's The Drizzle, composed in 1927. <laughs> The song uses a traditional Chinese folk style, but the instrumentation of a typical Western jazz orchestra. Buck Clayton, an American jazz trumpeteer, is often credited with bringing Western jazz influence to Shanghai. In the 70s, jazz influence was brought from Shanghai to Hong Kong, where canto pop was developed. C-pop is defined by the instrumentation and production quality. The instrumentation includes Western instruments, like pianos, bass, and strings, and Chinese instruments, such as the shiba. Production quality has much to do with today's music. Booming bass lines, soaring vocals, and majestic orchestration defines the intense production quality of C-pop. One of the most famous C-pop artists is Jade Chow. Let's listen to one of his most popular songs, Nunchucks. Opening with progressive drums and metal guitars, it leads into fast-moving, rap-like vocals. This is a sort of blend between a heavy metal opening and rap-like vocals, spoken in traditional Chinese. The Chinese also made a distinct rock subgenre, simply known as Chinese rock. In the late 70s, Western rock was gaining popularity in China, most notably in Beijing. Like all good rock songs, the popularization of rock happened because of teenage rebellion. Because of numerous political changes happening in the Chinese government in the 70s 80s, teens were becoming disconnected and started openly disagreeing with the choices the government made. One of the first major Chinese rock songs was Nothing to My Name by Sui Jian. <laughs> This song takes from the traditional folk styles of the northern Shaanxi, a province in northwest China. Combined with a western-style fast tempo, strong beat, and very aggressive bass lines. Contrary to traditional Chinese styles, the vocals are often sung loudly and forcefully. Now, relating back to the teen rebellion aspect, this song was the unofficial anthem of the teen protesters at the 1989 Tiananmen Square protests and massacre. The lyrics of Nothing to My Name are quite controversial. 
Some are quite anti-communist and oppose the systems on which the Chinese government works with. Sui Jian actually performed the song at the Tiananmen Square protests, and he wasn't ever allowed to perform live in China again until 2005. After the protests, rock became a staple of the Chinese teen population. It grew in popularity until the late 90s, when the Chinese government began to censor lots of material from mainstream media, rock music included. While rock went underground, C-pop gained some more popularity and grew. Since those times, rock has made a comeback, and the first Beijing MIDI Music Festival was held in 1997, and still lives today. The festival is one of China's most major rock festivals, and is hosted by the Beijing MIDI School of Music, an esteemed music school in Beijing that teaches modern music genres. And that brings us here. The 2022 Olympic opening ceremony featured both traditional Chinese themes as well as tunes from other nations. Starting centuries ago with some of the first civilizations, and now to the annual MIDI Music Festival in Beijing, China has a rich history that is reflected in its music. I hope you enjoyed this episode of 8 Minutes of Music History. You can find the many sources that I used in the description. Have a great day.